How you doing? Welcome to Fish and Friday and uh, thanks to Dirk Pagel, thank you very much for the glass. It is officially Erdinger alcohol free time, yes. How you doing? Welcome to Fish and Friday. Oh, it's me talking shy there. Thanks to Dirk Pagel. Yeah, so Doug gave me a very nice Erdinger glass. Erdinger time! Erdinger time! Which my wife has actually dutifully, like, beautifully and wonderfully created a proper little uh, vice beer top and everything. Stick in the nose and in this temperature it's great. I was gonna... I was gonna do the, the show. I was gonna do the show outside but it's too hot. It's mental. It's 35 degrees in the greenhouse today. It was, uh, just had to put the fan on. I've had to dampen down the greenhouse, put water all over the floor, just trying to get the temperature down. The chilies are loving it. And everything's kind of standing its ground, but I mean, just, who would you believe, eh? It's Scotland and it's too hot to go outside and film in the sun. <laughs> An alternative universe, really. Mm. That is brilliant. So it's been a kind of weird week. And uh, I had a lot going on. Big, it was one of those things where about a week ago, I kind of went, oh my God, we've got to start delivering all the bits for the album. And uh, this, is the, this is the kind of time in the album that I, I dislike it the most because it's, it requires utmost concentration and it's, you gotta look for everything. I mean, the absolute obvious. I mean, I have seen, you know, album titles go out with the wrong spelling on them, you know, so it's like, it's not easy. And when you're dealing in ISRC codes, which are the kind of digital codes that go in the recordings before all the tracks, which identify them in the world and, uh, Dealing with all that and barcodes and making sure you've not duplicated and even making sure your catalogue numbers are right. That's all the stuff that I hate doing. And then Mark was um, Mark sent me up the the first set of roughs for the the hardback boots for for the deluxe version. <clears throat> and, was, and it's like really taking huge steps forward, you know. But we were saying this. It was, we were talking to Mark today. He was saying it's a bit like the mix. It's like you know when you when you involve the mixing. Sometimes you've got to walk away and it's sometimes really good to get a third person just to take an overview and get a different perspective on kind of what you're doing. Because I mean like, especially on a song like Rosie Damascus, another section of which I shall play you today, um, later, um, in, in the second hour of the programme. Um, but yeah, so Mark set me up and it was, you know, being able to take a, a step back and, and as I said, the Rose of Damascus in the mixes, we deal in like five sections. It's easy to kind of lose sight of the big picture. And it was it was great for us both to kind of look at it where it was, the, the assembly as it was, and come up and throw in some more ideas. And it's, it's great. It's, it's a huge book. I mean, you know, it's massive. And there's a lot of imagery, but, you know, there's a lot of lyric. And there's 2,500 words that, this singer has got to put together in the next week for all the sleeve notes and I've still not done it. I've been, I didn't even get any videos done for Funny Farm Kitchen Garden this week because every time I managed to get some time together, 
And it was like going out into the garden and doing things. It was like, forget about the camera and stuff. It was a waste of time. So like, it was too fiddly and... But I had loads of things going on in the greenhouse. And as I said, you, I'd go out and then an hour would disappear and come back in and then you'd be hit with another problem. And, you know, it's just been threading all the necessaries together this week. So it's good. Anyway, Marisa Denise, hello from California. Colin Mark Babs, Lee Grebby, how you doing, mate? Geraint, Lewis James, Geraint from Ang Sunny Angles, eh? <laughs> Even Wales. And then Maria Champagne, Champagne, Champagne. <laughs> I like the Scottish accent from France. Stephen Edwards, hello fish. Yeah, it's a joke, isn't it? You just try to trip me up with all these names. Guglielmo Mariotto Pirovano. Hello from Italy. Italy, yes. Hello. Wendy Wu Hurley. Da da da. Jeremy Watts, you look like a carpenter, not a rock star. Yeah, well, that's so be it. I love it. I don't ever wake up in the morning and dress like a rock star. No. Andy Lynham, eating from sunny Northumberland. Yes. Ohio, Clark, Reed Clark, Steve Welsh, Methyl by the Sea, even East Fife. <laughs> Hello from New Jersey, Laura, a bit more. Really sorry, I might be intruding uh, any of American kind of viewers, so I'm really sorry because seemingly President Trump's about to deliver an address, so, you know, if you want to switch over and, and watch President on, on CNN or whatever channel you want to. It's, uh, I'm sorry to, to, to get in the way of that, but it was, uh, but yeah, I've been watching the news for America in the last week. It's been, it's just very dark and unsettling and uh, watching the Minneapolis stuff and watching the CNN crew, I was reminded of uh, Man With A Stick. And there was, there was a great shot on, on CNN from Minneapolis and it was, uh, it was the crew and behind them was just this line of officers and kind of, dark, nasty, dystopian science fiction, you know, this is horrible kind of image. And uh, <clears throat> all standing there with the sticks and I immediately went, man with the stick. And I said to Mark, I said, that's one of the images we should try and pick out. Try and pick that one out. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, sitting in the little, in, in the Shire in this little kind of paradise and switching on the TV, it just sometimes feels like somebody shits in your head. You know, it's just, um, uh, it's hard to take on board, but it's, it's, it can be very upsetting, but let's not get upset. It's Fish on Friday. Mark Scottisasus. Chili, hello. Robin Smith. Do you ever go to the Edinburgh Fringe? The Edinburgh Fringe... I mean, the Edinburgh Festival, yeah, I like it. I like to go and dip into the festival and dip into the Fringe. The Fringe has gone crazy. I mean... When I was a teenager, the Fringe was was uh, a nice alternative kind of festival. It was small and it was easy to to get tickets to see people. But I think, especially the comedy side of things, that element increased so much that the Fringe is now overtaking the festival. I mean, you know, the, the Fringe to me is a festival, but Edinburgh is just a nightmare. I mean, when so many people, you know, back in the days, <laughs> When so many people used to come in Edinburgh, it's like you've got an extra half a million people, whatever, in the city. It's not pleasant to get about. And the problem is, it's like a lot of the guys that you want to go and see, a lot, like a lot of comics or things you want to see, you can never get tickets. 
So um, that's hard. And it, it's interesting to see how they've got Fringe by the Sea now down in North Berwick, which has taken off and been really successful, where they take a lot of the Fringe acts and, and put them on in a, in a big tent down in North Berwick. I love the Fringe, it's great, but I think the other thing is if you go in Edinburgh at the festival, you got you got to commit, you know, you you got to really commit. It's, you know, if you go and you see something at 10 o'clock, then you're bouncing around trying to find something at 11 o'clock, see another show at 12, go for lunch, da-da-da. And it, it can get quite wearisome, and it's, I, I don't find it that enjoyable. I like to dip in and out of it. And when I have friends coming up and, and things, it's, it's nice to catch up with some people. But, um, but I mean, it's just become overly commercial. And it's going to be so strange this year not having a festival, you know, with the sound, the ever-present sound of suitcases rolling along pavements in Edinburgh. That's what I always think about the Edinburgh Festival. It's the sound of suitcase wheels on pavements in Edinburgh. People trying to find their hotels. Carson Morrison, hi. Mark Nichols, hi from somewhere in Wales. I can't pronounce that. <laughs> Workshop, Dave Jebson, Nicholas Soldrich. You've aged since you signed my vinyl outside Sheffield City Hall in 1986-87. Really? 86-87? I've aged. I'm really sorry to disappoint you that I've aged in the 30-odd years. Bold. Somebody asked, what's one of the questions? Um, Beth Maudsley. What made you actually brave the shave after having long locks for many years? Um, I've always, uh, my dad, my dad had thin hair. Um, uh, every male member of, of my family that I can remember had thin hair. When I was a kid, it was thin and it was greasy and I was, I should have been doing adverts for head and shoulders. I was, um, and it was always like that. And then in the eighties, when, you know, I am, am Barked on the music career. It was uh, it was it was always a thin head to hear. It was never bushy. You know, I could never have a pad of perm or anything like that. You know, and um, it was okay. I mean, I managed it. I mean, you know, I went through the various stages of denial, right? Which you can, you've got the the first one. You've, you've got the Mark Knopfler, you know, denial stage, which is you know using the bandana. The bandana is a very good form of baldness denial. And um, and then because being six foot five, nobody can actually see above you, right? It's, it's like if you're a small person, you wear a bandana to try and you know hide your baldness. You're 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 nah, it doesn't work. People looking down at you, they see the shine all the time. And um, it was interesting. It was a guitarist friend of mine that I saw about a year ago, and I, I noticed the distinct round bald patch. I shall not name him, but it was like see he's touchy. Right? Mark Kelly was very, very touchy about his baldness. Well, I'd say it was Mark, it was more Mark's wife who was very touchy about his baldness. And she had him go and see specialists and, you know, writing checks for people. And we used to take, we used to take the mickey at home all the time because it was like monkey piss. He's rubbing monkey piss in his head, monkey gland juice in his head. <laughs> I don't think he was, right? But, um, but Mark acceded to the, 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 the razor uh, before I did. I kind of got it. Really about 1994, you know, like I said, there was the denial. There was the, you know, wearing the bandana and then there's the hats and then there's the bits and then you grow the beard, you know, to kind of, because people look at the beard and it's like the percentage of hair on your face, people like, 
I don't know. You don't see bald people with beards? No, I think you do. Anyway, I grew a beard. I grew a beard because I hate shaving and my skin is so tender and roughs up. I remember seeing one of them close-up things. Uh, this is kind of this is what an electric razor does to your face. It looked like, you know, the, the bottom of you know the first or fourth after it had been done over by dredgers, and uh, and then the razors. And I just couldn't be asked, you know, razoring all the time. I, I've never liked shaving. I don't like electric shavers, and it was a kind of a mixture of laziness. I liked it, and then it was the bald bit, and then as I said, bandana to. You know, then you get the ponytail. The ponytail is the other the other bit of hair that you put on to like give you the percentage of hair mass on your f above the shoulders. You know, the ponytail, big one here. And I think it was 1994. I was in Spain and I was on a very very rare ho holiday with my then wife and my daughter who was learning to swim at the time. And I remember having a lot of brandy to drink. And it was at the time when they were doing Woodstock again and they went into a tent at the backstage of the new Woodstock and there was all these kind of white-haired, balding guys with white hair and everybody had a ponytail and as they went up the kind of tent, all you saw was all these white ponytails and I just went, that looked really naff. And I went, you know what, I'm getting rid of it. And Tara cut my ponytail off. And um, it was a... Uh, so she cut it off on that night and she did the scissors and it was it was definitely um, a ritual. And she kept the and she kept the ponytail and at the next Frankel convention she had a little table and some people maybe remember this, right? She had a little table and she was trying to sell her dad's ponytail and she had it written out Dad's ponytail and she and nobody bought it. nobody bought the ponytail, right? And she kept it. And I have still got it in an envelope in the house, in one of the bookcases, and it belongs to Tara. It's Tara's dad's ponytail. Right? But, but I'm never bored about it. It's like, you know, like I said, I never went for the cures. I've seen this bisects and a, a little story. It was, because uh, people have been asking about Rush, what was it like to him Rush? One thing I remember to him Rush, Mark was going through, we were talking about the ball, this stuff, and you know, Mark and I were, were the two, Peter I was always, had, he'd have packed with the devil, right? Ian never cared a damn, Steve was like what he was and stuff. And, uh, but Mark and I, we were afflicted by wellness. And um, there was all these things happening at the time, and people were talking what we call plug jobs, right? And um, plug jobs are basically taking follicle, hair follicles out the back of your head, where you've got a lot of hair, and putting them in the top. And basically, they, they make a little hole and plant the follicles in. It's a bit like planting rice, gonna, except really, really painful, seemingly. I've never done it. I've never had the to do it because one of the reasons <clears throat> that I am bald is like because the blood circulation in my head, like basically, it wasn't there. And it was why the follicles die, seemingly, or some, something like that. And then it wasn't helped by smoking, drinking huge amounts of alcohol, and doing other things that don't help your blood circulation great. So that was kind of part of the whole thing. But we were in America, we were rush. Mark and I are sitting at a table backstage in the catering area and we're talking about plug jobs, right? And we're going like, you know, yeah, plug jobs. It's like, why do people get them? He says, because if they go wrong, your head just looks like a coconut mat, like a really old coconut mat. And you just get these black holes all up. And, you can, and it's obvious that you've had a plug job, which means vanity warning, vanity warning, right? And when you get a plug job, it's like the number of hair cells that you can employ, right, are really minimal. You've got the swoop. You, you can never brush it back 
because if, if you combed your hair back, you automatically see all the lines and the furrows, right? So you've got to do the swoop to the, disguise it, you know? So it was hanging down. And I'd, I'd seen a couple of really bad cases of bad plug jobs going wrong. A guy, I remember, he had a Porsche with, he had a Porsche with a Fugazi number plate on it. So if you're out there, it's like, I feel you for you, I feel for you. But backstage, we're Rush, Mark and I at a table, talking about plug jobs, because they were all around us in America at that time. It was like, you know, a lot of Americans would get really into plug jobs. And the guitarist sits down at our table. I'm trying to remember, what was his name again? Write up the name, come on, plug me. Um, oh, uh, Alex Lifeson. Alex sits down at the table, and we've gone, we've gone blah, 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 da, 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 plug jobs, plug jobs, and turned around, and the first thing I noticed, was the swoop, right? And it was, that was it. I just saw the swoop. Mark and I saw the swoop at the same time. And we were talking away in front of him, engaging him in this conversation about plug jobs. And it appeared from the swoop that Alex had actually investigated that route of, of, of hairdressing, so. And you've, Mark and I, when we discovered it and we realized what we were talking about, and then looking at the look on Alex's face, it was, uh, it was, let's just not have dessert and just go back to our dressing room now. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, I never bothered about it. And you know, I've never been as brave as Mark. I mean, Mark, as you know, he, he does the full shave and I've never trusted myself with, with, with razors to do that because I don't like shaving. But I mean, I like it. Yatta, my old production manager, he used to do it. And you know, it looked great. And, uh, but I just keep it, I go, I go a zero or a one Oh, and I do a, a zero or one in the beard and that's it. And obviously you can tell I've not done it. I've done it in another week and just let it grow and go nuts. But in this heat, it gets a bit prickly, so. Uh, Morag Sajaran, hi, Lisa Cipriani, hi, Afish. Jeff Kiefer, will email my be issued a deluxe version of Fugazi like the other three? Yes, they will. I actually did a, a, an interview where, um, uh, Rich Wilson from who writes for Prog Magazine and stuff this week. And I, I'd forgotten all about it. And he'd, he'd got in contact with me and he said, I'm, well, let's do the interview. He said, you know, we're in the middle, we've got lockdown and we've got to deal with this. And I said, we'll just do it now and we'll prepare it. I don't know when it's coming out. Don't even ask me. It's, these things have got nothing to do with me. They've got warners. It's that my input into the remasters is pretty minimal. You know, if I've got bits and pieces that I've got, photographs and things I'll send, but I mean, uh, and then I, I do the interviews, but I mean, you know, and I'm aware of the tracks, obviously, and, and kind of what's going, when people put forward things for them to go on. But I've, I've not really got that much. I mean, Warner's run this, run that whole game, you know? It's, uh, I don't know calling, but there is going to be a Fugazi remaster. I don't know when it will be, but I was, I found it really weird because you, the Fugazi up to misplaced thing is a kind of, it's a strange zone because we kind of done the Hammy Odeon and peaked with script and then Mick was fired and then it was Andy Ward and then it was, you know, it was the time of the drama. Right? And uh, Johnny Martin, Jonathan Mover, Ian Mosley, right? And, um, and it, you know, it was the album and everything. And I'd forgotten just how much happened, you know, in that, that space of time. And as I was talking with Rich, and and doing the interview, I was you know things were spinning very much like when I do this. It's like little things 
trickle through and it, they tig and tag other memories and stuff that can bing come popping up. And I was amazed just, you know, how much went on during that, that Fugazi period and, you know, and a lot of memories from that time. But, it's, uh, but yes, Fugazi is going to be coming out as a... Um, uh, da, da, da. Right, okay, I'm watching a live video. Tanya Wyman, uh, Ray Clark, new vape machine? No, it's just the other one, the glass broke in it. And part of the things that, that are very difficult to get a hold of are um, stuff like vape glasses. And a number of times you, you get these rubber rings that go around them that allegedly stop it, but I had one on a tour bus where I took it out, put it on the, 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 the um, table in front of me in the seat, went around the bend and I went, bam, glass shattered all over the floor. And I was like, trying to find a vape glass and trying to find a head. In Germany at that time, it was a few years ago before, they were really popular. But, but yeah, this is okay. It's a throwaway type. It's a, but my big one, the, the, the smock vape, I use these vapes called smocks, and they've got big batteries in them, so you don't have to bother all that fiddly charging and stuff. It's like, that. So my smock glass is broken, so that needs to be repaired. But I mean, finding glass replacements for vape machines is like, I gave my camera, I think I mentioned last week, I gave my, my PC camera, my kind of Skypey camera, and all the German, my German press guy, Daniel, hello, Marcel, hello, Ron, hello, in Holland. Everybody's wanting uh, interviews, so, and everyone, because normally what you do is you, you either do a promo tour where you go out to the stations and, and, and talk with people face to face, uh, and sometimes, especially in the UK, you'll go along to, like, for example, BBC Edinburgh and you'll do ISDN high quality digital links to all the BBC stations and things. And they sometimes let you do others. But I've got to get this sorted out from the house. And, you know, so I was trying to find a, 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 a Logitech C922 Pro with stereo microphones and blah, blah, blah. They're up to they're like 89 quid normally, 90 quid normally. And they're selling them on eBay for 300 quid. It was, I think we were talking about this with regard to like, you know, misplaced childhood vinyls and things like that, remastered vinyls and how much they go for. And like, you know, sometimes, you know, in, in, the, in this lockdown, it's like you really see the ugly side of capitalism. But it's, um, this show is free, folks. Buddy by Erdinger, I wish. Oh. But yeah, there's some of the prices out there are just stupid. But of course, everybody's in lockdown, everybody's on cameras, demand for cameras, you know. It's, yeah. So I've just not bought one yet. And I'll just wait. Elaine Bethree, greetings from Dunstable. Tom Fudgecook, hello, big man. Uh, Yup Men's here from Utrecht in the Netherlands. You mentioned Jackson Brown a couple of times in the past weeks and his masterpiece running on empty. Have you ever met Jackson? Yes, I did, very briefly. I met Jackson Brown very briefly when we did a photo call for the Nelson Mandela gig, for the Wembley gig. And it was myself and Meatloaf and Jim Kerr from Simple Minds and a couple other people. And I, I met him, didn't really get a chance to talk to him, didn't, not enough to even get close to getting, you know, discerning how, what kind of guy he was. Hey, how you doing? Pleased to meet you. Great writer, love his lyrics. And the Runner on Empty album, Running on Empty, is uh, an album by Jackson Brown, which if you've not heard yet, 
you got to go and buy or listen to it or whatever, but, you know, listen to it. And uh, see, well, the album was all written on the road and there's some great, great songs. I mean, some of the great classics. And one of my favourites on it was, um, uh, what's it, is it called On The Road? Um, the Loadout. And The Loadout was, is one of those songs that is written about a loadout from a gig and it just clips and does a tip of the hat to all the people that are involved in the show and it's all about the show and kind of like our side of the show and you hear it and I remember listening, the first time I ever heard it I was played it by Andy Field, my really good ex, old friend who was my production manager for a while and I heard it on a bus driving through, I think it was West Yorkshire. It was around, a, around about sort of Halifax, kind of, in that area of England. And it was like the last day of the tour and we were heading back to Aylesbury. And it was, um, and it was, the loadout was played in the back of the bus. And I remember crying my eyes out, like, that's me. And the, the loadout was a huge inspiration to uh, for Romy because I always wanted to try and write a lyric about being a musician and you know our side of the fourth wall and it, the loadout was the kind of it was I really want to write a song like that and that was how Romy came about so there you go an interesting question that takes an answer from the curves. Oh. But definitely, listen, it's a, it's a classic, an all-time classic album. You must listen. If you're in the lyrics, you've got to listen, you've got to, listen to this album. Rob Quick, hi, from Fish from New York. How doing? Maxim Bucano, hello from Russia. Right next to each other in the timeline. Something going on there. Uh, Simon Stoddard, hello from Dunstable. Madeleine Perro Dulac. It's very difficult to understand. I'm sorry. I speak far too fast. I get excited. And I have to talk very fast because that is what Scots people do. But you may have noticed I've hardly said the word fuck at all in all the broadcasts. And I've been really watching my language. I'll try and deal with it further on. It is alcohol free beer. Scott Fish, this is here, John Marsden. What are the speakers in the background? They're kefs. Now, Kev speakers, and I'll play you some stuff later on. Andy Hibbs, then and okay. Uh, Tosh, hiya Tosh, how you doing? Um, Tosh, do I remember you talking about working with Clanad Moya Brennan? Did anything come of it? Um, it must have been in the dark ages when I was still in Marillion, but it was all becoming a bit frayed around the edges. Um, I, I don't know how it came about, but um, I don't know how it came about, but somebody somewhere, and it couldn't be the record company because we were on different labels, but somebody suggested working with Clanad and, and putting a, writing a song with Clanad. And I'd never really written anybody before, apart from 
you know, Tony Banks, you know. And um, I was, I was sent down just on an, an exploratory mission, and I was taken down to Rockfield, which I knew from the Fugazi days, because we did a lot of the writing in, in the mill house then at Rockfield. But this was Rockfield Studios, where Rush, it's weird, isn't it, how the circles just come round and round. That's where Rush did, I think it was 2112. Very famous studio. I'd never recorded there, I'd never been to the actual studio. And I was asked to go down there to, to spend a couple of days with Clannad, to, to see, or Clannad, Clannad, to see um, how we got on. And what was kind of muted <coughs> was uh, a duet with Moya uh, Brennan. And um, I thought, great. And I had some bits and pieces, uh, and some bits and pieces of, of, of lyrics, but nothing that was properly sketched out. And I, I went down to Rockfield and I spent three days in a pub. And it was a, it was a complete waste of time. Um, it was... <coughs> I arrived at night and we had a long talk around the table and then got very, very drunk. And then I was up the next morning ready to go into the studio to, to do something. Oh, we did try something on that night when we got really, really drunk and you can imagine we were really, really drunk. It was rubbish. And um, and the next day I was up at 10 o'clock in the morning and there was nobody about until about 2, 3 in the afternoon and then everybody went down the pub. And then, you know, and that was kind of what happened for two days. And we, we did some bits and pieces, but I mean, nothing came of it. Apart from I got uh, the idea for the the lyric to what would eventually become uh, Just Good Friends. And there was just like, it was a couple of lines. It wasn't like the whole song or anything. It was, um, but it was, uh, it was, um, that was, that the, the seeds of that lyric came from those sessions. But I mean, it would have been nice to work with them. But I mean, I, I think at the time they were going through some, uh, they were going through some d difficult patches as well. And, uh, and it, it just never happened. It was just the wrong time. And um, and then months later, it was kind of I was leaving the the Marillion, the Marillion fold. So, Lord of Bitman Water, I love Clanad. Yeah, they were a good band. <coughs> you know, Moy's voice was fantastic. Sonia Brooke, I'm okay with the speed. I can watch still game without subtitles. Well done. Um, Marlon Nash, really strange, no swearing. Yeah. Madeleine Perrault du Lac, officiellement du M message à me répondu. That looks like what was said there on, on, on the timeline. I apologise if that was extremely bad language. Is there anything in life you regret not doing? Uh, that was Eileen. Eileen, where were you? I lose those two. I'll come back to that, I've got one of these. Um, David Armstrong, don't know if you knew Newton Rigg College is going to close for good. Have you any fun, funny memories from there? Uh, Newton Rigg College was um, <clears throat> the college I went to uh, after doing two years of practical forestry work. One year in genetics at Northern Research Station, being a, a minion research worker. Second year, 
up at Speymouth in Murrayshire, where I was um, uh, a proper, you know, forestry worker, you know, mini lumberjack vibe. And then I did a year at Newton College in Penrith. Oh, God. I have got some memories for down there. Newtonrig was where I kind of got the idea that I really wanted to be involved in the music business. And I met a guy called Sandy White and his dad owned <coughs> a big laundry company in Edinburgh. White's Laundry, right? And um, Sandy's uncle, I think it was, or his dad's mate or something, knew the agent of blah, 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 of Bob Dylan, right? And that was like, you know, those tentative links in those days where if you knew somebody who knew somebody who walked his dog, right? That was like, oh, I know Robert Plant. And, um, so anyway, it was kind of, that was where I got, I was thinking, well, I really want to get involved in the music business. And I was listening to a lot of music down at Newton Rigg. You know, my, I mean, every night we weren't studying. All we were doing, there was myself and two or three other guys. We just got together and, and, and listened to music. And I had loads of cassettes of albums that I'd taped, home taped, up in the Elgin. And, you know, and... I, I, that's what I would do. I was just listening to music a lot. And we had the nearest gig, proper like gig, apart from Glasgow, we went out once to see Bad Company at Glasgow. I went, I used to, I started to organise the trips down to Lancaster University. And we went to see, I saw John Martin there, uh, who I'd eventually support. I saw, uh, I think we saw Lindisfarne there. I saw uh, UFO, the loudest band that I have ever heard in my life, right, at Lancaster University. I remember John, the John Martin gig, because it was like John rolled the joint up on the stage. And of course, I didn't really know, I'd, I kind of knew his music from Solid Air and things, but I didn't really know the kind of, the previous John Martin, right? And I didn't realise that John was really famous for smoking dope on stage and things, you know. And I remember like watching him skin up and I'm going, oh, that's a bit Lenny Bruce, a bit kind of <laughs> testing the water there. And then the people were throwing him joints on the stage and going up and he was sharing, it was all very loose. And it was a fantastic gig. And I've actually still got the poster from that gig that I stole from the venue. And that's in my toilet. That's one of the, the ones with the ticket stubs around it. Right? In fact, I'm going to show you that. You'll like this. Now, bear with me. I'm doing a bit of walking about here. It's artwork and reference books. Simona's espresso cups. Da -da -da. Come into my bathroom. Right? Oh, no. There's one. Ah, I've got a crap signal through here. But um, that's the two. That's the John Martin one. Those were all the ticket stubs from that I kept in a box. And uh, they came with me all the way through when I was um, 
they were with me all the way through all of those early Merlin years and stuff. And uh, it's probably the connection for the studio goes so well. But anyway, all my ticket stubs, I kept them. And one of the posters that you saw was the John Martin poster from the University of Lancaster. And we still, I used to organise these, these trips down to see bands. And I would buy like about 20 tickets, 25 tickets of the university, and then I was selling them in the college and trying to get people to come down. And then we had to hire right, the, the, the college transport, which was basically, it was like a, a, a flat transit with a kind of like a builder shed in the back of it. And that's what we used to go down to Lancaster and like February and March and stuff, and you're going down in blizzards and you're heading down, you know, through Sharp and everything, getting to University of Lancaster, it was, it was freezing. But I mean, um, but Newton Rig was, it was a decent year, but I remember music. I mean, I, I think that was, by the time I finished that year, that was, that's when I went, I don't know if I really want to do forestry. I didn't see myself as a forester. But again, you know, I took a lot of things. I learned a lot about soil down there that I brought on to my garden side. I learned a lot about plants. And I still have these funny flashbacks where I can see a tree and the first thing that goes in my head is a Latin name. I can actually, I can remember a lot of Latin names of, of, of trees and things. Plants, no, but trees, yeah. And as I said, I've still got my Husqvarna chainsaw. But it was, I did the year in Newton Rigg, and it was Penrith, by the way, right, Penrith, which is like, not to the eye of the world. And um, it was a pretty desolate existence. And I mean, the, the college was outside the town. I had my 21st birthday when I was down there as well. And um, there was a lot of drunken nights and, and, you know, it was a lot of fun. But I mean, you know, it, it was, there's a lot of, some stories. The Sandy White story. And I don't know what happened to Sandy. I lost contact with nearly everybody. I was I was at college with, and uh, but about Sandy White had, had, shot, had shotguns. He was he was he was into shooting things, and um, we used to we used to get drunk in the college bar and stuff. And there was one night he came to the college bar. and He went incredible. He said, "But oh, it really is." He was an Edinburgh. He said, "This is amazing." He said, "There's all these pigeons," and he said, "I said I mean, He said, "Well, I'm just gonna shoot pigeons because." Pests, vermin, vermin. Right, well, that's okay. So he says, yeah, he says, we've been shooting. I've got about, about 15 of them so far, all in this one area, right? And I'm going, all right, right? And he says, yeah, it's incredible, right? And he said, um, he said, they just keep on coming up, popping up. And I went, oh. So we went trips down pints and everything, down to where Sandy was shooting. And it was racing pigeons. And there was a racing pigeon coup on the other side of this tree line. And the pigeons were going up because of the shotgun, and he's going bam, bam, shooting all these pigeons at Rather messy. And I think the college principal had a word with him, and I think they took his guns off him. But it didn't stop us going out. It was like, you know, it was, they had these old, um, uh, there was old chicken coops and stuff, like the sheds with the chickens in them, full of rats. And uh, Sandy and his mates used to get completely pushed up, go down there with shotguns in the middle of the night with lamps and shoot rats. Very dangerous, not advised children. Uh, James Magaki, what's happened? My light went off, it's back now I think. It is back on again. Is it back on again? Yeah, I've got to be. Do, 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 just checking. Do, 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 do. 
kill him. Gotcha. Have a Dig Drake, good evening all, good evening all. Marco Pickerinen, Scott Digg, do you have any Ronnie James deal stories? No. Any word on the Fish and Friday t-shirts? That was, who was that? Teresa, Teresa Voiko Lehman. Yeah, I've, I've not done anything. I've got, there's a guy called Andy in Luxembourg that I've been introduced to by a really old friend of mine called John Reck. We used to be in a band called T for Two, used to support us a lot. Great guy, great friend. And uh, John gets his, his heavily involved in cartoons and does his own things as well. And he's introduced me, Andy, the cartoonist. So he's going to put together, he was, he's put together a Funny Farm one. But obviously, from what you wrote about on the, the previous thing, it was, uh, on the, the, you know, previous timelines and stuff, the cartoon version seems to be it. So I figured dungarees on, this shirt, ah, da -da -da, on the couch, that'll be kind of it. So I'm going to get a wee cartoon done and see... What you think about it? But yes, but it's weird. I mean, it's like it's what nearly it's two months now. It's uh, which is really strange, and you know, the weeks just fly by. You know, I mean, it was I was sitting there two days ago, going, oh, "I'm fishing Friday in two days," and you know, I'm having to remind myself. You know, the days are just going by so fast. It's a blur. I mean, it's trying to remember like it's fishing Friday, six o'clock. Greg Haylock, you're on. Do you ever chat with Ian Anderson, Diedrich Jones? I've not spoken to Ian for a while. Um, but, uh, but no doubt our paths will be crossing next year, festivals. Um, the I've just been told this week that I've been confirmed again for the, the festival in Dublin, the Forever Young Festival. So it's now booked on, I think it's the 10th of July next year. Oh. Isis Boussons, I'm not a hoarder, but I can't avoid buying books, even if I don't have place for them in the house. What kind of stuff you can't stop yourself to buy, even if you already promise yourself not to. Um, I'm bad with plants. You know, when I, if I go out and if I go in a garden centre, I will always walk out with at least one or two plants. You know, I'm bound to have a space for them. Um, books, I'm, I'm, I used to be really bad with books but I'm not too bad now. Vinyls and, and things, there's nothing, there's nothing that I really... Darling, yeah. is there anything that you would say that I can't stop buying, even though, you know, ho hoarding stuff? I mean, I know... Sorry. Uh, huh? What, what kind of stuff do I keep on buying? Where? I don't, didn't know what you were talking about. Sorry. You know, stuff in the house, like books or like records or things that I'll keep on buying, like a hoarding, keeping them. Plants, seeds. Yeah, seeds. Seeds. yeah, seeds. Yeah, seeds I'm pretty bad at. But seeds this year. But seeds this year. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, you're right, seeds. I forgot about the tons of seeds. And of course, this year with lockdown, when everybody decided to become gardeners, I even had a bass player begging at me, like some sort of like strange cokehead looking for coke, going like, you got any seeds? You got seeds? Can you send me down seeds? I need seeds, I need seeds now. You got seeds and they're growing. And Steve Vances is now an avid gardener. So he is. But yeah, seeds. But I mean, as I said, I was I was glad I was holding lots this year because it was. Uh, but that was until. I, 
had a basket, had a load of seeds in the greenhouse, put them in a basket, went out and I was doing stuff. I'm an old guy, forgot about them, left them outside, did the, the, the heavy rain, went out and I found all the packets are all sealed together. So I don't know, that's not all of my seeds. I've got, I've got a lot, right? So there's a, a joke you might get. It's, um, it was a joke, it was, it's um, attributed to Frank Zappa who I never met. Oh, I wish I had met him, but I never met him. Nearly came very close, because he was saying to you, my closing place, but... So there's a guy on a, on a flight, he's going like, uh, so, uh, you know, hey, what do you do? I mean, I'm a musician, da, da, da. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, well, I'm a musician. So what do you do yourself? I'm a, I'm a, a beekeeper. Oh, you're a beekeeper, yeah? I goes, yeah, I'm a beekeeper, and I, you know, I got these high, I got the 360 hives up in, uh, in North Connecticut, and then I got some down with the lakes, and I got some up in the woods. Boy, it's got about, uh, you know, quite a few. I really do not bees. Oh, do you really, really, really like your bees, eh? Yeah, 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 bees. And he goes, yeah. He said, uh, you know, we got so many hives and different types of honey and stuff. So the guy goes, um, so many bees you got? Oh, I got, oh, I got about, uh, oh, maybe, you know, couple of hundred thousand bees, maybe 500,000 bees from all across the different hives. And he says, oh, Mr. Musician, you know, you know, what about you? He says, he's musician goes, yeah, I got bees. It's only your bees. Yeah. He says, yeah, got about a million. He says, oh, where'd you keep them? Keep them under the sink. Fuck them. Says that a joke. Anyway, badly told. But then again, I'm not stand up. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, we're watching it on TV at the moment. Very nice series. Avoided it for a long time. Didn't, wasn't really attracted to it. Started watching it. New York humour. I love it. So. 27. Diedrich Jones, what flavour do you liquid? Blueberry. Ah, my freedom. Time flies. Luciano Fatima. Yes. Laura Bittman Ward, plants. Bob Falk, what's your favourite vegetable? I've got no idea. But we do, I do grow different things. My wife got me into, uh, was it kohlrabi? Yeah. Yeah, kohlrabi. Which is a kind of, it's like, it, looks, it looks like an alien. It's like a little round ball with like kind of four kind of leg things on it. And it's really cool. And it's really big in Germany, but it's not a big vegetable across, uh, across this country. But it's becoming more popular. So if you want to impress your neighbours, get some kohlrabi. K-O-H-L-R-A-B-I. And it's a bit like a turnip. You can steam it. And you can eat it raw as well. It's nice. What, a cross between a radish and a turnip, isn't it? Uh, the taste, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The and um, The what? The little turnips. Little, turnip. little turnips. <laughs> but they're really cool. I like them. Uh... And the one I'm really struggling with is celeriac. I never used to eat celeriac. I don't know, it just, I, I never, it just looked like a, a, a vegetable. When you see it in the shops, it's like, I don't want to deal with that. You know, I don't want to, how do you peel it? You know, it just looks like, it looks like a, something that's come out of a car crash, you know, a vegetable car crash. And you just go like, nah. But so what got me really into it, celeriac steaks. Get a celeriac, right? I just cut it into slices like steaks and then put it eggs and breadcrumbs and lightly fry it. It's brilliant, right? Now, I'm not a person that was, it's only thanks to my, my, my stepson, Liam, 
that we've kind of been, my wife and I have been kind of pushed a little bit more. You know, he's a vegetarian and we respect the fact that he's a vegetarian. And uh, I'm going like that, but he's not here. He's actually away down doing a three metre away walk with his girlfriend down in Harrington tonight because the Scots have let, allowed a wee bit more. So I'm going like that, but he's not through there, but he lives through there, right, okay? Liam, Liam, vegetarian, and suddenly we start getting like, why are you killing things, right? I've got rabbits in the garden. I've got a mate that's got a 2 rifle, work cross, crosshairs, right? With sniper sights. And I could go out and I could get rid of the seven I counted last week, right? And I can't shoot them because it'll upset Liam. And my wife, my wife's not too happy about it either. I'm happy with rabbits, I'm, I can do them. Back in my forestry days when we used to live on very little, the gamekeeper used to leave us a couple, every couple of days, you got a couple of rabbits put on the, the, the handle of your door in the, when, at your wee house in the forest. And yeah, we'd do the rabbits, make stews and sakes and casseroles and stuff. So, but you know, anyway, so. But Liam's got us more than a vegetarian food. And we, we do it about maybe twice, three times a week. Chickpeas, I've got quite addicted to. And chickpea curries, pretty good. But celeriac steaks, slices of celeriac, right? You know, they're two, you know, but the same same as a steak, and then just and fry them in a pan, but fry them eggs and then breadcrumbs. Brilliant, great. Well a wee bit of chili sauce on the button. Michael Van Rienen, hello Slange. Uh Paul Gutier, Frank Zappa, the man incredible. Yeah, people have asked about Zappa. I was not a big fan. I, 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 it was too, it was too musical for me in some ways. It was, uh, I love the lyrics. I mean, you know, the, the words, it was clever as hell. I mean, some of the stuff. It was Paul Lewis, who was our tour manager, was a huge fan of uh, Frank Zappa. And he liked all the, the uh, all the Mother's Invention stuff. But I kind of, it was a bit, it was a bit too musical for me. It was a bit too, I mean, uh, when I was 18, 19, it was, it was too complicated, too jazz, you know? And I preferred, I mean, believe it or not, yes, you know, it was a bit more kind of straightforward. But when you look at the players that came through, you know, Zappa's lineups and things, you know, it's phenomenal. I mean, great players. And, you know, I've read, uh, I've read a lot of books on Zappa and, you know, he's, he's a phenomenal man. It's uh, maybe another question that kind of go into another time because there was some interesting stuff happened. You know, but I saw him once on stage at House with Odeon when he was signed to EMI and he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I never thought, when I went along to the gig, I, I didn't think I'd last longer than 20 minutes. And I watched the whole gig, I was transfixed. It was just genius. And um, I kind of got a, a, a new respect for him. And I think when I was in my forties and things, you know, I'd find myself at night, you know, throwing on some Zappa records. And, uh, and especially a lot of the bootleg, because he, he did start to do a lot of the live things, putting a lot of um, the live albums out, a lot of live tapes. And um, we don't do this on stage anymore. And I've got a load of them. I'm not a huge fan, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't sit there in a crowd and and talk Zappa, if you know what I mean. You know, I mean, it'd be, I'd be a listening to Zappa fans sort of bit. But, you know, I admire the guy. Oh. Oliver Lunk, Lecker, yes. James Schomburg, what poets do you read? None. I don't really read poets. I, I didn't like poetry in school. 
I did Walter de la Mer and things like that. And it was, we were, I think it was the, the repetition of learning and things. I, I, I didn't get off on it. And, yeah, I, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, I read a lot of poetry. I don't. I read books, but I, I, I like the war poets. And I think during the Feast of Consequences writing sessions, when I was going in and, and reading Siegfried Sassoon and, um, well, I can't remember now. Mine's gone blank. But there was a lot of the, the, the war poetry. I was reading a lot of anthologies and they were interesting because they were relative to what I was I was studying at the time for the for the album. But I don't really read poetry. I mean, uh, you know, I prefer prose to myself. Kilkenny Dave talking of rabbits. Have you ever met Mike Bat? <laughs> There's another weird circle, right? Because I remember, I saw Watership Down. This is the connection, by the way. It's like, I don't know why, but we've, we've formed a connection over the waves. Right? But I saw Watership Down in Penrith Cinema, which was a bleak place to watch a really bleak film. Right? And it was a very bleak night. But no, I never met Mike Bat. But um, actually, I bought one of his albums. Uh, I can't remember which one it was. Clever guy, clever writer. He was, I mean... He's always associated with the Wombles, but he had this kind of rock demon that was always trying to get out. And he, he did some really clever stuff in the 70s, but I can't remember. I had one album. I'll probably find it on the timeline as one of you nudges my old memory. Paul Michael Chilcott, love the mothers. Krasuta ich mag Murin and Zucchini. Cosette, that's another one, another story. Dan and Robinson, our two daughters are veggies and we've discovered so much from a flavour perspective. Chickpeas and squash curry, one of our faves. Excellent. We do chickpeas and sweet potato in co coconut milk. The laddie makes it and he's very good at it. Zappa was from Maryland, Ray Rooks. Kevin Van Dott, oh, we've now got a whole Zappa thing. Brilliant drummer for Zappa, da da da. Robert Marotta, how much do you lose to the rabbits, the vegetables, if you're not allowed to kill them? <laughs> I planted 72 perennial plants in uh, what we call, what I call the Longshanks bed, which is a big long bed that we've got down the side of the, 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 the lawn. And um, 72 perennials, three nights, all gone, right? Some of them came back. And strawberries, the bastards are really bad for the strawberries. But well, I've got a net around them now. And now we've just got to fight off the squirrels and the mice. Uh, it's a constant battle, you know, and um, and it was interesting. We were doing it. I was talking with the neighbours at social distance the other day, and they were saying that they've got two hedgehogs, two baby hedgehogs in the patio, and seemingly there's a badger kicking about over there, and there's a badger. We've got a hole down the bottom of the orchard, and we didn't really know what it was, and it looks like it could be. A, we've got a badger, and we've got a stork, loads of shitloads of squirrels. Um, and there's a fox down there that comes in because of where I put the grass, where I dump the, the cuttings from the moor, there's like that smell of pish and you know it's a fox. Either that or some really old jakeys coming up for Harrington and having a pish in a corner of the orchard. Right. Hello from Hastings, Ed Peachman. Uh, John, you, what's that, John Yuri? 
Nigel Curtis. First you got to go, no problem, Nigel. You'll get it later. Where with Ferreira, do you consider yourself a poet? Absolutely not. Bob Falk, what's your thoughts on the gong band? I like Steve Village's stuff, but I never I was never a fan of gong. It was I wasn't really into when I was 14, 13, 14, I wasn't really into that kind of a lot of the what you might call the druggy bands, you know? It was uh because I wasn't indulging back then. It wasn't until later in my life I uh, discovered. Uh, the Wombles band weren't bad. Uh, of course, Vince O'Malley, who was our guitar roadie, there was, uh, he was actually a roadie for the Wombles, seemingly. And there's a rumour, a terrible rumour, that Vince O'Malley was actually dressed up as a Womble on top of the Pops at one time, but nobody knows for sure. A typical Womble story. Have you ever listened to Ramesses? Nope. Um, Robert Murrell loves strawberries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan Johnson, what hammer the trees in the orchard? Yeah, the, the trees in the orchard, they got taken out by deer. It was, it was deer that were coming through our orchard. And if we weren't sure whether it was squirrels or rabbits even, but then we decided that like, not looking at where the gnawing marks were on the the, 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 the the trees. We either had four foot high rabbits down there or it was deer. And we put these casings round the, all the, the, the bark and I, on the wounds on the tree, I put this cling, moss and cling film that was watered with rainwater. And it looks like it worked, by the way, for those of you who are on the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden pages, it looks like it worked. But the deer, because they couldn't eat my garden, went to the neighbour's orchard. And it just looks like stumps. It looks like Passchendaele out there at the moment. Uh, waves, Mike Bats Waves. That may be it. Thank you very much. Peter Dalton. Uh, Peter Zelstra, did you see the Dutch documentary about Kayleigh? Yeah, I did. I made it. Yeah, I saw it. It was great. It was, that was the first time I ever talked to Kayleigh. If you want to catch it, just go fish YouTube. Uh, somebody put up the link. Uh, Hi from Elgin, Harry McClellan. Marco Picarin and Strawberry Fields cover at any points. Well, don't get that. Uh, Jimmy Walker, would you ever do another convention? Yeah. And I was asked this a while back. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do another one, but they are so much work, you know? And one of the problems is I've got to get musicians together to play two sets, two electric sets, which is a lot of rehearsing, a lot of musicians, a lot of hotel rooms, and it's a lot of work bringing all that together. And especially for me, you know, I think, you know, because I mean, like when I was doing the Limit and Spark conventions, you know, you're there in the, the hall at 12 o'clock and then you're talking the entire time, then doing a gig at night and then getting up the next day and doing another full day of, and... It's, it is exhausting. You know, I think, you know, if you're a five-piece band and you can share the duties, um, or if you decide not to kind of get involved, but I find it really hard, you know, if you're having a fan club convention and not to be involved, if people have made all the effort to come there or something. But, yeah, I mean, I'd love to do it, but it's not in my, my thought processes at the moment. Eric Van Riem, 
Hi, Carlo Colasol, hello. Steve Harris, Sunny Isle of Walney. Oh, God. Jeff Jeffrey, did you get on well with the guys in Rush, Kevin Conker? I never really met them. I never, I never really met them. It was, uh, they were nice people, you know, I mean, but I didn't, you know, it, it was kind of where we were playing, we were playing, I mean, I, I've got to be honest, right? I mean, hands up, I'm not a huge Rush fan. Um, I liked them kind of when I was, when I, I discovered them, really with that too, in Penrith and when I was in Keith, uh, were Charlie Roy and stuff, hello Charlie if you're watching. And um, they kind of got me into, Rush was around at that time, it was 2112 and there was one of the guys, kind of mind his name, was really into them. But I never really, I, they were they were like a heavy metal band and then it was like kind of prog. I liked the 2112 album, but when we went in two of them, I mean, I wasn't watching the show every night. I, it's not that I don't like what they do or, I, you know, I think it's crap. Uh, you know, what they do is brilliant. But it's not kind of my thing, you know. It's, I, I don't know what it is. It's like I can understand my drummers get really into them, and the musicals, you know, it's very technical. And I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of overly technical music. You know, I'm a singer, a wordsman, and that's kind of you know. I'd rather listen to a Nick Drake album than listen to a Rush album. You know, but I mean, what they do is brilliant. You know, and Neil Peart. Neil Perry I met a couple of times, an incredibly nice guy, an incredibly nice guy. But I mean, you know, everybody's got the wall up in those kind of areas when, you know, stadiums and things. Hi, how are you doing, Geddy? Da, da, da. I remember, like, you know, my, my fondest memory of Geddy Lee is like when Geddy Lee was in the backstage area with his roadie, you had to be very, very careful. Because as you were walking back and forth of the stage, you'd have baseballs coming like, and it's like Geddy and his roadie throwing balls, pitch and catch to each other. Neil, Neil was a nice guy. Alex was really nice, very friendly. He was probably the one I had the, the most conversations with. But I, I got on really well with the crew. I mean, we had a, we had a, a brilliant, one of the best things with Russia was in, um, I think it was in Chicago. And they took us out, they took, they, they took all their crew out and us, the Marillion boys and all our crew. They took us all out to a bowling alley and we had Thai food. Like it was just wall to wall Thai food and a bowling alley and endless free bevy. And, uh, and we had a great night with them that night. And uh, I did get a name from the Rush crew being uh, the thing that wouldn't leave, which if you know Joe, uh, John Belushi, you'll understand it. But I got invited back to their hotel for a nightcap. And uh, I was there all getting up, there to get up for a gig for loading at seven o'clock and I was in the room. Yeah, the thing that wouldn't leave. And so that was my tag for a while. So, uh, but yeah, they were nice guys, but you know, the Radio City shows, I've, I've got fond memories of, but I mean, the, the Rush shows, it was, uh, you know, a lot of the time we were doing the gig and then we were, you know, we were doing gigs in between the Rush shows because, you know, we were, I think it was, I think it was a buy-on on the Rush tour. I'm not very sure, but I would expect it was a buy-on. So basically, um, we weren't earning any money from the rush shows. So we were having to, and we had, to, we couldn't afford to sit in a hotel for three days. It made sense to, to go out and play other shows. So we were, you know, there was times when we did a rush gig and then it was like, you know, 
they were playing and we were on the bus and we were heading off for some horrendous, ugly drive to some place to do some gig to like 500 people. And then we'd play about. Because I think there was a whole thing about Gary. He, 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 there was rumours that he, he didn't play at weekends or something because he had to go back and see the Blue Jays matches or something. But, but I, I never, I, you know, I've got their autograph on the Power Windows album, but we didn't socialise. You know, we didn't socialise. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what's what's your favourite Rush album? I'd I'd probably just see Twenty One Twelve. I'm not really. I don't really know the the stuff. I've listened to it, but I mean, I don't, I don't really. I'm really sorry if I've upset people, but like you know, everybody expects I'll be you're in progress, you're in a rush. No, I'm not. So, Tom Sawyer, brilliant track, and I used to love. I used to watch that every night, you know, I was like, oh, that's, that was just a great song, you know, and a brilliant lyric. But Neil Peart was, you know, bless him, was a great lyricist. Chris Watson, do you like the Smurfs? Nah. What was the my that wasn't my age group? I didn't like the Smurfs. It wasn't mine. I think even my daughter liked the Smurfs. You know, little blue people. <laughs> it's like most of the people in Scotland in November. Um, Steve Jordan, I saw you at Glastonbury in 1983, which I was talking about, about, we were talking about the Fugazi album, and that was the first time we ever played Assassin on stage. And, uh, and I had congas, I seem to remember. My congas. That's another story. Uh, now we listen to folk music as well as rock. Are you a fan of any folk musicians? Um, I really like the Fairports. You know, not because they're great friends and they're, they're lovely people to be around. And um, I, they were part, there was a kind of crossover that happened where progressive rock a wee bit in the, the, early, the early 70s. And Fairports were kind of accepted as being, you know, it was, you could go along and see the Fairports play. I think it helped having um, uh, Sandy Denny as a singer, and because she'd worked with Led Zeppelin and, and, and things, and sung, sung on, uh, uh, was it Dance Evermore? And um, because Sandy Denny had the, the, the Zeppelin kind of tag, it was like, she was like, well, Fairport kind of cool to listen to because Sandy Denny's a singer. And I loved Sandy Denny's uh, stuff. Like an old fashioned waltz is a, again a, an album that you must listen to. Um, but folk music was kind of, you know, the John Martin thing and the way that John Martin went from being writing some great stuff, Bless the Weather, vinyls back there, and is an album that's often played here. Uh, John Mather, Martin went from folk into kind of more electronic rock kind of vibe stuff. I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't go to pubs and, 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 I'd listen to folk music. It's not something I go out to listen to, but you know, I don't turn my ear away from it if it comes on the radio. And there's some of the stuff I really like, but I mean, the Fairports, you know, very happening bands, but they're so collective. But I mean, it's a bit like jazz. It's like, you know, you, you can dip your toe in it, but then, then you start getting involved and it can swamp you. And I, I kind of feel like that with folk music. I allow folk music to come into my palette you know, 
I think because it's in my blood, and I think you know, there's, there's certain sounds and rhythms that I hear that you know, you, you, I'm affected by. It's a genetic thing, I think. And and the melodies and the words. I mean, I think probably the linkage there is is, is definitely in the way that the words and, and and melody come together to basically relate history, which is what music always was, and a lot of folk music was a way to pass on stories and, and things through generations, as in so many other cultures in the world. So yeah, so I'm, I'm quite into, I'm into folk music enough. Mugshin Chile, Pedro Pablo Barrios, Schlatino from Chile. Matty is cool, man. Alfred Fishy, any news about the 82 video? What 82 video? There is no 82 video that. I'm not with Warners. I'm not with Marillion and I don't go delging about. If, if you talk about the 82 marquee video, there will be no news about it ever because as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't exist. Never seen it. So the Marillion support for... Ro oh, I'll lose it on the timeline. Um, oh, Papa Smurf. Oh, is this what it is? I did it, I miss a little dig there. So it's like, I'm supposed to look like Papa Smurf then, right? Rodrigo Ignacio Vilant into Antarctic hugs from Santiago to Chile. Ray Rook saw me really for Russia, the New Jersey Meadowlands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gerald Hogan, what's your opinion on the Water Boys? Really like the Water Boys. I've met Mike Scott a couple of times. Really nice guy. Um, uh, quite intimidating. He's, um, yeah, I think, uh, he's intimi intimidating in an intellectual sense, I suppose. No. Very deep, dark guy when I, when I met him. And, uh, and of course, Kevin Wilkinson, who was my drummer that we discussed on a previous uh, on a, a previous um, official Friday? He played with the Water Boys for a couple of albums. I think, I think he played the This Is the Sea. I'm not very sure, but yeah, I mean, again, Mike Scott loved lyrics and, and and love it. I was never a massive fan, you know, but we we bumped into them once at a festival. The first, well, the first time I met Mike Scott was at a festival down in in France, way down under it was. Uh, was one of the big ports I can't remember it was this really shitty festival and um, it was uh, and we watched them play it was it was one of the, it was a naff festival it was kind of tiny stage that was at the back of this kind of World War 2 concrete kind of vibe thing down by this oh shit and, uh, and I, I got a word with them but we were very very drunk and um, well, we'd gone pretty well, but I've, I've never really known him. He, he went through his life and he's been through the pinball machine. And uh, but yeah, I'll bump into him again sometime. But, but I'm not not a huge not a huge fan. But again, I liked what they did with the, the folk music combining with the rock stuff. Uh, Scott Degg, out of my life was really folky. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of folk influence, and in, you know, I mean, Eternal Exile, if you want to call it, you know, well, that was Bamba Black Sheep. Uh, Nick Drake, what styles of music do you avoid listening to? <laughs> um, 
I don't really avoid listening to anything. I mean, uh, I'm not a huge fan of... I mean, I listen to jazz. I mean, there's been times when I've put on John Coltrane. I've got a couple of John Coltrane albums up there. I'm not a jazz buff, but I've got a couple of the classics. Uh, I've got... You know, pop music, I mean, I can distance myself. I can... I can, I can appreciate what's been done from a professional perspective and the engineering of it. Uh, classical, I can... I mean, there's, there's nothing I really, really avoid. I mean, even electronic, I mean, I can listen to Klaus Schultz or maybe Tangerine Dream every now and again, but I mean... Uh, but I prefer vocal music, definitely vocal music. Um, Mike Freeburn, next restaurant visit, what's your nose bag? Restaurants, I mean, everybody's going, lockdown, what we got, let's get out, let's get out. I'm not really into rushing out to go to pubs and restaurants. I've kind of, I'm going to take my time. Um, and I've never really th thought about it. I think because you know, Simona is such a great cook, Liam's a, a great cook, I cook myself. And between the three of us, we actually have this, there's a pretty good menu exists in this house you know, without getting all fancy, but I mean, but we're not, I've never been, you know, you know, I've been asked about this, I mean, I've, I've never been somebody that's kind of, I've never been a major restaurant tour sort of vibe, you know, I've never been one of these guys that, you know, oh, we must, must go down to see the new one that's opened up, blah, blah, never been my thing, if I find some place and I like it, I love Fisher's uh, Bistro in, uh, in Edinburgh, once in a blue moon when we can afford it, and, uh, you know, have a splash there. But I mean, Simone and I, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, with the lockdown, Simone and I like being here. You know I mean? We, we we go Easter Road to see the Hibs and, you know, we go out, you know, every now and again, but we like it here. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, standing at the starting blocks, you know, eager to, to, to get out and, and do something. So, I mean, uh, a lot of people for chilly on tonight. So like, do you like this band? Do you like that band? Oh, no, nah, it doesn't matter. Mass boot. Oh yeah, the the mail order. Right, I've got to watch the time. Just quarter past. No. We opened up the mail order on the QT on the quiet uh, this week, and we got about a hundred orders in, and it immediately threw up. There was issues came up on it, so we shut it down to basically deal with the glitches. Those orders are all being processed. They're taking a little bit longer because Simona is having to go through all the machinations and the ticking boxes and stuff. But it's, there's still some issues and it's not to do with fuse metrics. We're waiting on questions being answered by Royal Mail. Because as I said, when we opened it up just for the hour, it just threw up, wait a minute, this is all wrong. And we just got to get it right. And... Uh, I don't, it's not going to be up this weekend. It's going to be, it depends when we get the answers back from our guy at, at Royal Mail because we have to get these answers to, to be able to activate. At the moment, for example, we had an order came in from Germany and it was a bit presumptive, right? Because we got the order in from Germany, it was processed and someone like, went to press the process button and it generated a custom sticker. And, you know, we're still in the EU at the moment, you know, dealing with the outro but it generated a, a, a custom sticker for Germany, so it was mm -hmm. just a reminder of what's to come. 
Okay, the mixes. Where we are on the mixes? Um, this week was like my hair was getting pulled because radio edits. I fucking hate radio edits. It's like the the problem is that when you've got any song and you wanted to take it to radio, radio generally, right? Uh, they want that song to be four minutes and a few seconds, right? And they don't want five minute songs or six minute songs. They want four minute songs. It's got nothing to do with the song and that's what kind of gets me, right? And Gardener Remembrance is a great song. It's, it's been written and it's got, the verses all mean something. It takes you to the next section to explain it. And I'm now in a position where you know, we're looking at Gardner Remembrance to take it to radio. I've got to shave a minute of it, right? Or Callum had to shave a minute. And between James Cassidy, right, who advises us, who is, he can he can be ruthless. He's not a not a happy ruthless person, but he can be ruthless, and he makes you face up to the reality. And the reality was, you want Gardner Remembrance to be played on radio. You need a four minute edit. So I've had to lose the last verse and I, I kind of, I could have dug my heels in because it's the whole end section that explains what's happened before. But, you know, you got to have the chorus come round, you know, da-da-da, it's radio. So I had to go through the anguish and and many wrath of, of dealing with it. And we got it and it's four minutes and I think it's 11 seconds, probably five seconds with a fade. But it, it just annoys me. It's like, you know, you, you write a great song. It's like if I wanted to write... You know what, if I wanted to write a song that was four minutes, I'll go out and write a song that's four minutes. But, I'm, you know, it's taking us six minutes to get round. We can't go round and start chopping it. This, uh, it just winds me up when you make something and it's like, it's perfect and it's wrapped and it's there. And somebody goes, no, it doesn't fit in the box. It doesn't fit in the box, love, you know? And it's and that is why, I mean, I remember hearing the first time I heard the American, the, 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 you know, when I heard American Pie when it was was back in the day, you know, I'm pretty sure I heard pretty much the, the full song, or it was a lot, it was a long song. And then, you know, the last time American Pie came out, the Don McLean version, it was like the edit was like horrendous, right? But I mean, this is it. It's this is the problem with radio. This is a problem when you take radio away from DJs and you put it on computer, and and you know, I mean. You know, that's why Kaylee gets played all the time because it's on the computer. And Kaylee was an edit or, or the guitar solo to get it to play. But I mean, uh, but yeah, so I was, I was dealing with that this week with Callum and things and, you know, but we have got an edit. But I mean, I've just said to my press guy, when it goes out, put the radio edit and the version, it's like we prefer you to listen to the proper version rather than the Reader's Digest version, you know. I just hate it, you know. I'm not trying to hog the airwaves. I've just written a really great song that I'd like you to hear, right? And this is the length of the song, right? But when something's judged like that, it's... Uh... But I mean, saying that, I mean, getting onto radio these days is, is, is a nightmare. And, uh, you know, trying to, you know, you have to pay people to try and get you onto radio that no DJs and no producers, you have to pay these people to go down to the radio stations. And um, and as a fact that some people, you know, if they get you onto that radio station, they want percentage points. That used to happen, where they would take percentage points for the, the entire all the sales on on stuff. So it's uh, another one of those 
little things that you didn't know about underneath the stone that is the music business. Yeah, so I mean, um, pluggers. Um, but with it, what I'm going to play you is from a song that will never be played on radio, <laughs> which is Rose of Damascus, which is 15 minute song. I'm going to play another section tonight. It's, um, this one is, um, yeah, it's kind of close to the war section. I can't play the full, what I call the war section because Callum employs a lot of really tasty kind of stereo imaging and, and moving things around, which obviously you won't pick up here on the iPhone and this little speaker. But um, but I'll play you this. This is um, the section three of Rose of Damascus. And you'll get as much as I can play you. Oh, where's the bloody thing gone? Oh no, what have I done with it? The old hidden remote gag. Anyway, this is this is section three uh, uh, rows, and this is kind of where you you hear a bit of the strings and stuff. Is anyway. Silent time on a never ending war. 
that's a sectional rose. Probably you're going like, what the f... Yeah, that's, um... That's what this... Like I said, it's 60 minutes long, and I want to play you just that one bit there. It's, uh... It's more of... It's the, the stringy things. Getting value for money out of the strings. Rose Damascus is... It's, it's really epic, and I can't really play you anymore. I'd rather you wait until you hear this whole thing now. And hopefully I'll get a... Um, a remix of Waverly Steps, or I will have a remix of Waverly Steps uh, next week, so I'll play that so you can hear the difference in, in what Callum's done to that one. So I'm looking forward to that. So, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's it's the album. It's, it's moving forward, as I said. I mean, it's, it's all the nuts and bolts and doing all that kind of little, little tinkering and tapping and, and things. I will have, by Friday, next Friday, I will have a complete, Run in order of um, feast of uh, feast of consequences. Yeah, Veltschmerz. Um I was. It took me about three hours the other day to to sit and go through it. I talked about this before about you know when you you put together the when you put together the tracklist of an album. You have to really think about it because you can completely, you can have great songs, but if you play them in the wrong order, it can just kill the vibe or, or, or knock you out. I kind of call them sleeping policemen. You know, where you're having a nice long drive, right? And you don't want tracks on an album that are like that. And, and every, every track's got a place. And I'd already put the sellers together and I was dealing with different formats. So what I have is about 86 minutes of music. And 86 minutes of music, as I've said before, is a double album. And that is why I'm going for two CDs. There are two CDs of 40 odd minutes each, right? And I think that is a good chunk of time and a good chunk of music that's enough for people to enjoy and go on a little trip were and get the jollies within and it doesn't become boring and it's not overstaying its welcome and that is the length of what used to be an album and back in my day of course you had the vinyl switch over the, the side one side two after 20 minutes which is my other point i've also got to do two albums so that's side one side two side three side four and then i've got two cds so the 84 minutes, 86 minutes lends itself perfectly to the double vinyl. So I've got to be aware that every side, you're trying to design a little mini roller coaster on every side for everybody, right? for the listener, right? And at the same time, you're aware you're trying to design a CD that's got a roller coaster curve that can activate and work all the way through 40 odd minutes, twice, right? And putting that together was really difficult and because i'd kind of nominated a lot of the i'd nominated the original track list when we were recording right and there were a lot of things added into the recordings as we moved along one of them being strings another one being sax um, david jackson who's a wonderful man and a brilliant horn player who already played on uh, uh, The Little Man What Now. He played all the sax on Little Man What Now, which is 
brilliant. I really wanted Dave to do something else in the album and Dave came back and, and he did uh, uh, This Party's Over. And This Party's Over's got whistles and sags on it. And on my original track listing, it was like that Little Man What Now and uh, This Party's Over was sitting next to each other, which meant you had two sax songs. Then on the original track listing, I had um, Walking on Eggshells too close to Rose of Damascus, which was two string jobs. So I was having to separate all these elements up and design the running order so that there was certain instruments were split and spread over the album, such as the horn sections. There's horns in a lot of tracks, so you had to break them up and then at the same time be aware that you've only got 24 minutes max on a side of vinyl, right? And trying to run all through. So it took me three and a half hours to work it all in and get all the tracks in the right placement so that, I mean, even th as I told before about the, the, the tricks of doing, putting album, a vinyl albums together, but even on Dark Side of the Moon, you know, you sit there and get all shippy at the end of time. And then, you know, you've got to get up off, off the beach, the, the bean bag, and then go up to the vinyl deck and then turn the vinyl over and then put the needle back and then go back to the bean bag again. So going back to the bean bag, it's got money, right? which is not exactly a throwaway track, but it's a track that you don't have to be in a relaxed state for. And then us and them, and then the rest of Dark Side of the Moon. So you're aware of like the physical movements of people changing albums and things, and you want to like, leave them on a real high at the end of CD1, at the end of CD2, and little mini highs and things on at the end of each side of the album. So three and a half hours I was putting that together at the weekend. And I think I've got a really good running order at the moment everybody's given a thumbs up all we have to do is like if there's a conflict in the keys if, it, if the keys jar but i think i've got it i'll listen to the tops and the tails of every song and i think i've got that all sorted out so so that was part of the job next week i've got to do on wednesday i've got uh, with dave barris and he's bringing down a white screen and we're doing some uh, white screen filming and uh, suitably social distance filming. And it's just basically me and Dave. And uh, we've got to film some footage that's been sent down to Miles Scarron, who's putting together the video for This Party's Over. And he's working on a whole animation side and I'm putting in my side on, uh, on a white screen that can be used together with the animation. It's not Peter Gabriel's sledgehammer, it's something very different, right? And then I've got to do the interview with Will Smith. Will Smith, the comedian. Hi, Will. Will's going to be uh, doing the, the big album interview next week. So, and because uh, Will's in London and because I'm up here and we both got families, blah, 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 and it still isn't safe. And we don't want to take risks and we don't want to put undue pressure on anybody. We're going to, you know, basically film it so will will be on it's like doing a, a skype interview but really high quality so will will be filming himself down there and i'll be getting filmed up here and we do the interview on skype so it's a lockdown interview kind of so it's um yeah it'd be interesting it's, it's coming together it's um it, it's, it's like the garden it's like you know the garden you'll go through a, a, a period of two weeks where you can just sit back and go yeah that's cool everyone's cool and then demands hit you and the, the, you suddenly you have to do this or you're going to screw up and you have to apply yourself. You've got to be concentrated. You've got to be methodical. And, you know, as I said, with the, the radio edits, it's like, listen to them. 
it's easy to just go, ah, I'll leave it. And it's bound to be all right. I did It's Bound to Be All Right on Parley with Angels and we got the wrong catalogue number and we got the track listing wrong on Parley with Angels, which, by the way, is like, that is when it's limited edition. So when the shop opens, if you're looking for a Parley and you're looking for an, an eBay investment. <laughs> no. But yeah, so um, you have to be meticulous in the way you, you try and deal with it. And it's really easy to lose concentration and you know, going through sleeve notes for the fifth time and, and doing the corrections. I mean, you're, you're always going to miss stuff, but you try not to. But the thing is, at this point, where you put all the metadata together, all the kind of ISRC numbers, as I said, the digital numbers that represent the tracks and things, putting all that, you've got to stay on top of it. And, you know. Uh, Marco Pikarainen. Hello, Des Greeley. Yes, it's a double album. It's 86 minutes, you know? I mean, I had the choice. It's two CDs, right? When you buy the standard version, it's two CDs. It's a double album. And uh, you can get up to, to 70 minutes of music on a CD, but, I mean, I, I, I get bored after after 55 minutes. It's like, you know, you know you're designing something that's supposed to be fun you're taking somebody on a on a trip it's like it's like editing a movie you know it's um you know it's um it's 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 a tough one but yeah it's a double album definitely des Greeley, who is this guy my name is fish i am the only singing talking 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 singing dancing fish in the world and i'm talking to you from scotland oh the badass guy, yeah. As I said, Dirk, Dirk Paglo, Erdinger, alcohol free. And it's beautifully cold. Um, Sonia Brook, oh, what is it? Da, 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 da. Sonia Brook, hello. Stephen Carter, hi, Fish. Have you still got any out there for you wore in the 987 clutching tour? No. I have no outfits uh, from Marillion days. There was a story that uh, the guys had, um, um, after I left the band, there, there was a, a story, it's, it's urban myth, I think, that they burnt all my stuff. I think Mark Kelly's wife used the big, the lovely big silk cloak. I think she made curtains out of that. The big silk cloak that I had from the 90s. I can't remember what it was. The hand-painted silk cloak effort. Uh, my torch suit, which was my favourite one, that was allegedly burnt, which is quite ironic. Um, uh, allegedly, but I, I've got no idea. But it, anyway, I never saw that stuff again. It was interesting, actually. <laughs> I was on, on the, 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 the PC today. There was a thing came through for one of the magazines. It was an interview with Marillion from 2004. And it was about season's end or something. I think it was a remaster they were doing or something like that. And it was interesting, you know, to see kind of what they were saying back then. Interviews are hellish, right? Because you can see things, you have an opinion, you have a perspective at that time, you have maybe a bit of anger and bitterness at the time. And there's some interviews I've looked back on and gone like, oh God, you know, like, you know. And some of them have just been bad journalism. I mean, there's been some, there's still some shoddy journalists out there. And it's one of the things, and I hate to see it, 
it's like just because you've got a website and just because you can you know talk to somebody down the phone does not mean that you're a good journalist right and in the same way as there's a lot of people that have got digital cameras that if they point them at a stage they're concert photographers um there are a lot of great journalists out there really good journalists um there's a lot that are very very good friends of mine and they still manage to keep professional distance when comments have got to be made on albums and things which i respect and appreciate and uh and there's a lot of crap out there i mean this i really hate when i i i, I do an interview and i'm talking to somebody for 40 minutes and then you see the thing in the press and there's nothing at all at the, the level or where you were talking about or what you were talking about and it's full of misinformation i had I did one the other day and I was, you know, and I knew what was coming. I mean, I'm not an idiot, you know. I mean, you know that when you're doing anything to deal with red tops, which is, like, you know, the tabloids, and when you're, I mean, every tabloid, you know that, you know, forget it. You know, you're never, you're never going to be truly represented, in, you know, in a tabloid. I mean, they just want, I mean, I did an interview with this guy. And it was for a, a paper, right? And I've known this guy for a while, and we did a, we had a really good interview, and it was, it, was, it was for the Daily Express, right? And we had a really good talk, and it was supposed to be, was supposed to be coming out around, around about the Velschmerz track, and uh, which was great. I've got Daily Express, Velschmerz. It only came out about a week ago, a week and a half ago. It's, it's come out in, in desert land. It's, you know, it's... You know, there's nothing really going on in, in the UK and in, in regarding press to me at the moment. So this kind of article floats up like an empty bottle in the middle of the Atlantic, you know. And um, and I'd done this, this interview with a guy, and like I said, it wasn't the first one I've done. He's an intelligent man. He's a very likeable person to talk to. And we did the interview, and it was suddenly, there was a picture of myself with Simona, Right, which is fair enough, taken from somewhere I don't know. And in the first two paragraphs, it mentioned by name my first wife and second wife, and then Simona, and then did this uh, call him hook, line, and sinker. And it just went shoddy, you know? Why did you need to mention the first two wives? Why did you have to bring up, you know, Simona and do the hook, line, and sinker, you know? And then they had this thing about who makes his money mostly from all these gigs, right? And I'd mentioned the fact that I was playing the Forever Young Festival and it was the first time I'd ever done an actual an 80s gig, which was translated into who makes fish, who makes his money from, still makes his money from all these gigs. And it, it just... Oh. It irritates. I didn't even post it up on Facebook because it was just a waste of time, right? It was just, I just went, it was, it was just, a, it didn't contribute anything. And it was just, one of them, it was Friday night chip paper. I mean, that's all you can say. But I do hate it when, you know, I do hate it when you, you spend a lot of time. I mean, when you, when you put the effort and give 40 minutes to doing an interview or whatever it is, you know, you try and get the information across and you try and, and 
you know, what you don't want and what you don't like is words getting put in your mouth or things being manipulated or, or, or even lies just basically attached to the interview. And um, it goes with the territory, yes. I'm not bleeding about it, you know, it's all press. But you ask me, I've, I've had some great, I've, I've done some great interviews with great journalists and I, when, I, when I see them on a promo roll call, you know, when I see them coming up, I go, great, I'm looking forward to that. And there's some journalists out there that have done brilliant interviews with me over the past. I've done some shit ones, but learning how to do interviews is, is kind of, it is an art, and which I'm still mastering to some degree. I mean, one of the things that I find easy to do when I, when I talk on these kind of things is like, you know, for example, the first thing, you know, tip to young musician, if you're ever doing local interviews, don't let them pull you into the areas right you pull them into the areas you want to talk about if you're there and you're on a, on a bbc radio station and you've got five minutes and they've just played kaylee right and you're sitting there in 2020 and you've got a gig coming up in that particular town and an album come out don't wait for them to ask you you go for it and you control you know you've only got five minutes on that station on air you run it right and you know it's it's, it's things like that that you learn i mean um and just getting the information across. And I think the in-depth interviews I love, when I'm working with a really good journalist, I know because I'm learning things about myself because I'm talking about them and I start to explore different uh, angles on that. And, you know, and I'll question myself about certain things that I've done, you know, and, and try and um, come to terms with things. So yeah, but just because you got a website doesn't make you a journalist, right? And, um, you know, it's, it's, I hate doing email interviews. I, I tell everybody, I don't do email interviews. Email interviews is, well, why don't you write me a chapter of your book, right? And, you know, I mean, I find myself, if somebody sends email questions in, you find yourself typing, and I'll do four or 500 words. And I can't bring myself to just be glib in a way. And, you know, you feel that you've, Anyway, I hate email interviews. It hurts my fingers, right? And it drives me nuts. And they take far too long. And of course, I hate computers and I hate tech, and you know that already. So. Erdinger. Oh, it's full! <laughs> How did that happen? The magic glass. It's quarter two. Paul Devlin. Bob Falk, Elspeth Neal. Sean Mitchell, would you consider Mick Wall for your autobiography? No, it's an autobiography. Right. Jesus Alejandro Perez, there is any song that you've dedicated to your daughter Tara? Funnily enough, yes, it's called Tara. It's on the Sunset Through the Empire album and then the communion acoustic one. Pierre Dickin, evening, big man. Nick Dent, everything good. David Bain, sunny and warm Calgary. Uh, Kevin Van Dock, cringe worth the media. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Stephen Donald, are we staying safe in Melmate? Yes, we are. All the chilies and all the tomatoes, all the spares have all gone now. We had three or four people came up um, uh, this week. Socially distance, 
you know, stuff to the left outside, etc., etc. So um, they picked up from the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden pages, just locals, picking up tomatoes and chilies, courgettes, some cucumbers. Uh, between those people and the neighbours, all my spares have gone. So uh, it's that was good. So they've all gone to good homes. All my little plants have all gone to good homes. But yeah, we've been we've been pretty good. I mean, we're, we're still watching. I mean, as I said, I mean. I'm happy at the way that Scotland's dealing with uh, uh, the release of lockdown. I'm not complaining about it at all. Uh, my own personal feeling is rushing into all this and trying to get back to what people perceive as normal, I think is dangerous. And I've still not had any word about the October-November touring yet. I've heard nothing, um, whether it's a yay or nay. It's just got a big, there's a big fiery question mark somewhere on the horizon, right? And we see it and we don't know what it means yet. And um, and as I said, I'm happy we're exiting lockdown slowly. I've got no rush to go to the restaurants, no rush to go to pubs. Um, you know, I'd rather stay safe and, you know, you know, and I do wear a mask when I go out and like, you know, I was talking, Liam went out today, went to Arlington, and it's like, wear a mask. Oh, I don't need to do that, but I'm not going to get that. Wear a mask, you know? And, um, and I think we've just got to be so, so careful. And I think I'm quite happy wearing a mask going around Tesco's. I was down there this week, sanitised my hands before I went in. The trolley was taken off me, you know, which I found weird. So, Can I have your trolley, sir? He's like, I just got this. I just got it from there. get it sanitised, handed back to you. I'm happy to wear a mask around Tesco. It doesn't bother me. I don't have any, there's no kind of alpha male, macho kind of like, you know, I don't wear these things. I wear it because it protects people if I get it. And I don't know if I've got it or whatever, when I do get it. So just be safe, you know. And I said, I've got my mum through there who's uh, forsaken the jigsaws and has now become the weeding machine. And she's going around the paths in the garden. But, you know, she's out there. And, you know, I'm very aware when people come up here, it's like, stay away from my mum, you know. And, you know, with the masks and stuff, it's cool. You know, we're okay. It's, uh, it's you know, it's strange times. I think the touring is the weirdest, you know. Um, not knowing what's happened with the touring, but there's an album, you know. Darling! What's, what's for dinner tonight? Um, chicken, curry and almond sauce and spinach and naan bread. Homemade naan bread. Mm. None of your plastic rubbish. And my wife makes a really great chicken and almond curry. It's really good. But I'm going to have to go down, uh, take a run down to the co-op. And, well, I'll have to go to the Tesco's to get her dinner. Damn! And that's it. It's 10 2. We're coming to the end of another official Friday. Thanks for joining us. Uh, as I said, next week's going to be Wolfsmith interviews, you know, the album all complete, blah, blah, blah. Working on the This Party's Over video. Uh, it'll be gardening, da, da, da. But it's going to be a busy, busy week next week. And I'll let you know when the mail order store opens, when it all happens, and we'll have the teas. I'm also getting. I've got some green and white versions of these things. These are the old blue ones, which are pretty cool. And they're good for a bald man in the sun. So, and it's probably what's going to be on the photograph that I sent to the cartoonist for the Fish and Friday shirts. That's it. And the Funny Farm shirts. I'm happy in my dungarees. I'm happy in my life. 
Um, we're doing okay here. Well, I hope you guys are all doing well. Um, I hope this helps and put a wee smile on your faces and things. Just a wee bit, you know. But uh, I'll leave it at that for this Fishing Friday. Um, you can catch up on the timeline and things, and it's on the, the, the blogs, on the Apple uh, blog spots and things, so you find it. Thanks very much, Rob Scarron, for uh, sawing out. Dirk Maglow, thank you very much for the, the Erdinger glass. If any from Erdinger is watching, if you'd like to look for, if you're looking for somebody to you know, sponsor, I'm available to fish Erdinger, Scotland. Thank you. Until next week, guys, take care, stay alive, and stay healthy, okay? Bye-bye.